glad everybody's here today. I'll give you a quick report on my wife. Y'all know she had surgery Wednesday a week ago, and uh, she's at home recuperating. She thanks everybody for their prayers, and uh, she felt them, and uh, she's on the road back. We have a doctor's appointment next Thursday, Friday, and we'll see how the release date goes to get her back in here in the church. But she thanks everybody, and uh, she's under doctor's orders right now, but uh, continue to pray for her. She misses everybody, and we appreciate uh, everyone taking care of the business here at the church while we're out. And uh, so thank you very much for doing that. Darlene sends her love and continue to pray for her. I won't get too much into detail. Uh, she's doing a lot better, okay? So thank you for that. Um, next weekend, we have time change. How many of you? Spring forward and fall back. Remember, fall back, okay? So you get an extra hour, right? Do you get an extra hour? Well, good for you. Remember, we've got a Bible study uh, on Wednesday night. I'll be here. We're going to get through Ephesians one of these days, I've, uh, believe me. And uh, then prayer on Friday. Thank you all, the prayer warriors, for being faithful and, and being here for Friday night prayer. It makes a big difference. And... Uh, so remember those things. Be sure and turn your clock back so you can, I don't know if it'll help us be on time or help us be later, but anyhow, God knows. Amen. Amen. Laurie, come here a minute. Lori got a word from the Lord while we were worshiping, and it's connected with this weaving that God is trying to do in our lives. He's trying to knit us all together. He wants people that are fearfully and wonderfully made and recognize it, but also He wants that weaving to take place with other people. And God's trying to birth something new, and she was feeling the same thing. So share what God was, yeah. Uh, during the, the last song, He's a Waymaker, it just felt like He was saying, it was a faith now was being activated, faith now for breakthrough, for, and I just felt the body, the needs of all the body, um, so many needs of heartache, heartbreak, needing victory, prodigals, prodigals, healing, and he was just releasing it, and I could feel the angels were being activated and released, and I just wanted to decree that now over our body because there was a window of opportunity that he was releasing that in us while we were worshiping him to Waymaker. He's the Waymaker, and he's the miracle worker, and he was doing it when we were decreeing it, and so we released the fullness of that decree, and the fullness of the spirit that was released while he was doing that. And it just, it's a faith now song and word and power. The power behind it was here. So receive it. We call in the prodigals, Lord. We call in healing. We call in breakthrough. We call in the fullness of your salvation that you love this body. You know every single need in this body, the heartbreak, the heartache, and you love us. And I just like Gina, you know, your perfect love, Lord, is released today. It's a faith now activation. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we'll take that decree, won't we, over us? Amen. Hallelujah. Gina, stand up. Laurie, stand up. I want you just to turn and face the congregation and face the congregation, both of you. They received a word from the Lord today, and we honor the word of the Lord as it comes forth prophetically. And Laurie felt the need to decree, and so did Gina. And uh, so we just, I join with them now in decreeing over the church exactly what God wants. And if you're ready to receive that, would you just stand to your feet? Say, I'm ready for the things that have been prophesied. Hallelujah. I'm ready to receive those things today. I said I'm ready to receive them. 
Because I know it's not about me, it's not about what man can do, but it's about what the Spirit of God can do. And we've received the decrees that have been spoken over this congregation. We take them unto ourselves, we receive them. It's a word for us. It's not just a word for the person next to us. It's a word for us. So Lord, let us dive into that word that you've given us today and realize what you have for us, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you're knitting together our broken lives, that you're bringing them back together, that you're doing a good job bringing everything back into the obedience of who you want us to be. And we bring our thoughts into captivity today. And we say that the devil is a liar and he has no power over us. And we decree release over the congregation right now and all those that have needs today that they would receive the goodness and the glory and the mercy and the long-suffering of God and they would walk in it as victors and not victims. So we attack the victim mentality and we receive the mentality of someone that's living in victory. We've traded our defeat for victory. we traded our sorrows. We put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Hallelujah. Now, if you receive that, thank the Lord for it. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Wow. When we were in Mexico, it seemed like 10 years ago now, uh, there's been so much going on in everybody's lives. Um, the Lord kind of spoke to me, the Holy Spirit did, about what is the gospel. Three weeks ago, we, we talked or preached on what the gospel was, because we have a misunderstanding of the gospel sometimes. The gospel's good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. We are to spread the gospel, not our opinions, but God's opinion, because he's the ultimate judge of this earth. So a lot of times in churches, in our own personal lives, we misunderstand the gospel. It's broken down. It means the good news of Jesus Christ, why he came. And we need a revelation of why he came today. And our, our featured text, and then three weeks ago, we preached about the gospel then two weeks ago about the cross, because we need to properly discern the gospel and the cross and what was accomplished there. Today, we're going to deal with what is our response to what Jesus did, who he is, and what he did on the cross, and what our response should be to that. First off, our first response should be praise, because when somebody does something, you know, I like to thank people. The, I thank Barry after every service and those that, that when Jason does the sound and Olivia's back there, and I like to thank people and tell them that it's appreciated what they do, okay? And so God wants us to thank him. And that's why the scripture said, even back to David, he said, I'll enter his courts with thanksgiving in my heart. I'll enter his courts with praise. And if you don't feel like doing that, then he gives us a second opportunity during the praise and worship when he's trying to bring everybody in. It's the day of, see, things happen when we get into one accord and we let God weave together the things that he wants to do. On the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place and they had one mind and that was to worship him. They were doing it under persecution. They were afraid. But when the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit came, they exploded into worship. And they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And it was quite obvious to everybody around that God was doing something special and something new in their lives. How many of you in this past year, God has done something special and something new in your lives? Well, that's good news. That's not bad news. That's good news. And we need to share the good news. John 3.16. Olivia, thank you. I'm in the New Living Translation. This is why he came. We'll go back over this real quick for those that weren't here. Hallelujah. We could probably quote this without even having it up there, but it just reconfirms it when you can read it. 
This is why he came. This is why he came. He didn't come to preach a social gospel, which is part of the gospel, but that's not the root of the gospel. We need to go back to what is the root of what we believe. Why do we believe in Jesus Christ, and why don't we accept other gods? See, all through history, man has tried to promote other gods. We see it in our lives today because everybody's promoting other gods, all these different ways to heaven and all this spirituality, but it has nothing to do with Christ and why he came. Here's why he came, because he loved the world. We're part of the world. I am part of the world. We are part of the world. God so loved the world, he loved us before we loved him. He so loved the world that he gave, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him, you won't perish, but you'll have eternal life. Amen? How many of you believe in him today? I mean, he's our rock. He's our fortress. He's our strong tower that we run to. He's our safe place. He's our haven of rest. He's the anchor of our soul, the Holy Spirit today. We need to believe those things and not just mouth them. The Christian community has cliches like every other community. We have things that we say that are supposed to fit this, the, uh, the situation. But he came so that we might have life. Life. If you're not living life right now, if you're not appreciative of what God's done for you, then we need a change of attitude. And we need See, we get disappointed in God when he thinks he's not doing what we want him to do. But God's going to do what he wants to do. You know how I know that? Because he loved the world so much that he gave. Thank God that he gave today. Thank God that he gave for you and he gave for me. That whosoever believes will not perish, but he'll have eternal life. What's verse 17 say, Olivia? God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but they might be saved through him. There's no other way to salvation today. You say you're preaching to the choir. We know all this. Well, we need a new revelation of just what the cross means. In the coming days is our country and the things that are going on in the world, Syria and every place else. And, and I'm not a doom and gloom preacher, but I'm going to tell you, there's a time coming in our lives where we need to know that the world can be saved through a knowledge of Jesus Christ. What happens if what we get down to is only our testimony and nothing else? Think about it in a minute. Why did he come? He came to save me. Because I was dead in my sins, and I was bound for hell. But he didn't make hell for me. He made hell for the devil and his angels. He made a glorious heaven that is filled with praises. 24-7, the elders cast down their crowns, and they go get them, and they do it again. That's the scenario in heaven. He doesn't want anybody to perish in this room. If your soul's saved and you're still involved in other things that would cause you to perish, you need to know that he came to save you from that also. He came to save you from guilt. Christians suffer under a big load of guilt because of their past. Your past does not rule you. Your past was thrown into the sea of forgetfulness when you came to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and why he came. Man might tell you that you can't be forgiven, that your sin can't be blotted out. But David, who was a man that knew sin and he knew praise and he knew worship, he said, blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven, whose transgression is blotted out. And when you came to a knowledge of Jesus Christ and started living by his commandments, your past was blotted out. The devil is the accuser who says, you did this, you did this, you did this. You know what we point to when he says that? This is what he did. This is what he did. The devil can tell you what you did. He's very good at that. But we need to hear what God did. Today, God sent his son that whosoever believes in him will not perish. I'm not going to perish. There's no perishable people in here. 
We have value. We have worth. And when we realize that starting over here with Jeannie and all the way across to Ava, that God does not intend for any man to perish, but they all might come to a knowledge of who he is and why he came. Whew. That's good news. Hallelujah. What preceded this was reading a book about Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who was a great German theologian who traveled during Hitler's reign, and he came to the States, and he, he was invited to preach in churches in New York. And he said they preach about everything except the gospel. And we've got a lot of people preaching a lot of things except the gospel today. How you can help yourself, how you can do this. You know what the bottom line is? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And our biggest problem is not psychological. Our biggest problem is sin, and we need to speak to sin and tell the devil, and it says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We need to put our resistance clothes on. I'd much rather hear God's opinion of me than I would the devil's because the devil hates me. Why would I listen to what he says when the one that loves me is trying to get me to listen to what he says? And this is the proof that he loves us and we need to receive that love and everything's based off of that. But he said they preach about everything except the gospel, which is the good news. The cross, what happened on the cross. And sin and forgiveness. Today we're going to look at sin and forgiveness, if I get there, and death and life. Hallelujah. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. Now some of these scriptures we covered a couple of weeks ago, but I want to go over them again. The angel came and spoke to Mary. See, God has a plan. God just doesn't do things willy-nilly and helter-skelter. He does things according to his eternal plan. He put us together in the womb. We need to realize how much of a project we are sometimes. And look what it says here. She got an order from heaven, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, Messiah the anointed one, Emmanuel, God with us, God incarnate. He left his throne in heaven, and he thought it not robbery to descend into this earth and give away everything that he had with the Father so that we might be saved. That's love. And it says, for he will do what? He will save the people from their sins. How come we can't save ourselves? Can anybody in here save yourself? I'm my biggest enemy. Paul even said in Romans chapter 7 that the things he wants to do, he doesn't do. And the things he don't want to do, that's what he does. And Paul, who spread the gospel to the Gentiles, would stand there just like David and say, I realize who I am. I'm a man that is born under sin because of the sin of Adam. But because of Adam's sin, every man had judgment brought upon him. But he came that that judgment wouldn't come and mercy would come into our life. Hallelujah. He came to save Lonnie from his sins. Does that just mean going to the altar one time and praying a sinner's prayer? No. Because even after we're saved, you know what happens? We all still sin and come short of the glory of God. That's why it's so important to be in God's house and to be knit together with other Christians that have that same calling and that same realization in their lives that he came to rescue me from what I couldn't rescue myself from, what Paul couldn't rescue, what Peter, who was his right-hand man that denied him three times, and Jesus even prophesied. He said, I'll die with you. And Jesus said, Peter, I know you. I made you. And this is what's going to happen. But guess what happened after it happened? After he rose from the dead, he said, you go tell Peter and the disciples that I'm going up here and I want to have a meeting with them. See what? No matter what we do, His love covers that gulf. 
Can you imagine the disciples as they were so crestfallen by what was going on? And he said, go tell them that I'll meet them up in Galilee. And they go up there, and here he is on the seashore cooking breakfast. Hallelujah. You talk about people that didn't deserve breakfast, it was them. You talk about people that didn't deserve breakfast, it's us. But we have a Savior that loves us enough that He fixes us breakfast. He said that He prepares a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. The devil's my enemy, but God still says, taste and see that the Lord is good. His mercy is fresh and new every morning. Imagine Peter's thoughts. He went back to what he knew, which was fishing. But then they realized who it was that was speaking to him when he said, do you have any meat? Got any meat? Peter said, it's the Lord. And just like some of us, he jumped right in the water. And Jesus gave him three opportunities to tell him that he loved him back because he had denied him three times. He said, Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know. I've often thought why Jesus pressed him because he had to cover the denials with the admission because Peter was the one that had the revelation of who God was, who Jesus was. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, the one that takes away the sins of the world. He said, you know I love you. You know I love you. You know I love you, Lord. And all his sin was forgiven. That's what he's done for us. He's going to save you from your sin. Go to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12. We're talking about sin and forgiveness today. Hang with me today. So what's our response? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Two problems for Christians, me, you, everybody else, is guilt and unforgiveness. You can't function properly in the kingdom of God if you're full of unforgiveness. Because he said offense will surely come. I guarantee you that offense will come into your life. And sometimes, as David said, he's the one I broke bread with. He was my dearest friend, and he's betrayed me. That will happen. Offense will come. But we are commanded to forgive. What's the devil want us to do? He wants us to hate those that trespass against us. That's not the gospel. What's the biggest transgression? Sin toward God. He said, your sin's not big enough because I forgive you of your sin. So what he did on the cross was a model of what we're supposed to do with one another. It's very easy to hate. But he chose love. It didn't say God so hated the world. If you even look at his approach to our salvation. He didn't say God so hated the world that he sent his only son because he's going to trick you guys up here and nobody's got a chance and you're all going to hell. But God so loves. He didn't. God doesn't hate. God loves. And he wants us to come into that understanding. But forgiveness is a big part of it. We can't expect God to forgive us our sins if we don't forgive the sins of others. That's one of the principal pillars of the gospel. That God, let's go back to John. Don't go there. He so loved that he gave. I'm preaching too hard here, I guess. So they preach about everything, but I want to preach today about sin and forgiveness. He forgave our sins and and the Lord's Prayer, which we all pray. It's a a go-to prayer when you don't know what you ought to be praying unless you pray in tongues. We pray the Lord's Prayer. Everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So right now, let's just do a check. Let's just do a check. I'll admit as a pastor sometimes, who knows that I get upset? Has anybody ever? uh... No, none of you. Well, then I'm better off than I thought I was then. I better move on. 
I want you to think of one person right now in your life, and you don't have to publicize it or anything else, that could use your forgiveness. It's a tough spot, ain't it? The Holy Spirit will bring it before you. So forgive them right now, and then if you get a chance to do it face-to-face, do it. The devil wants to steal, kill, and to destroy. Unforgiveness will steal from you the joy of the Lord. Then it will kill off your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. David said what? He said, God, I realize what I've done, but take not your Holy Spirit from me. Unforgiveness will cause us not to be able to connect very well with the Holy Spirit. We need a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit today, and we, that comes through forgiveness. And that goes back to the cross. That's why He came. And go to Luke 5.24. Everybody with me today? If you're not, it's okay. What is our response to what he's done? Well, let's go to verse 22. I'm sorry, Olivia, but you know how it is. Jesus knew what they were thinking. These are the Pharisees and the teacher of religion. You see what I mean about hate? They hated Jesus because he was a threat to their system. When that Pharisee stood before God in the temple, and he said, I thank God that I'm not like the rest of you. Thank you, Lord. I do this, I do that. You know what? We could have a litany of things that we've done that would last a thousand years, but they never can compare to what he did on the cross in one afternoon. God doesn't need us to prove our credentials. He needs us to point to him and prove his credentials. He's God. And look what he says here. But uh, verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking. He said, why do you question this in your hearts? You know, when you get saved, God gives you a new heart. He not only forgives you of your sin, but he gives you a new heart. You don't believe me? Go to Ezekiel chapter 11. Go there real quick. 19. I didn't give you this one, Olivia, but Ezekiel eleven nineteen. Jesus asked the disciples once in the Pharisees, he said, You want to kill me because there's no room in your heart for me, for God. In other words, when we're converted, he gave us the capacity to have our heart changed. Look what it says here. He says, he's speaking to Israel, but he's also speaking to us. I will give them singleness of heart. In other words, our focus needs to be on what? How do you get a single heart? By realizing that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he came not into the world to condemn the world, but that we might be saved. He said, I'll give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. And I will take away their stony. Now, this is not describing anybody in this room except me. He says, I'll take away their stony, stubborn heart. And I'll give them a tender, responsive heart. Problem with some of us is our heart are so stony and the devil sits on our shoulder and accuses us so much that we don't have room for God. We need a change of heart. And that only comes through a direct revelation of who he is. And look what he says. Why, why do you question in your hearts? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk. And look what he says. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man, Jesus the Christ, has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's why he came. There's a reemphasis of why he came. To forgive us of our sin because the wages of is what? But the of is through hate cost murder the things that go on in the world 
you know, you really got to work at being lost. Think about it. You got to work at being lost. He said, I'll prove to you that I have the authority to forgive sins. And the religious and the Pharisees said, who is this guy that can say, forgive us of our sins? He's Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one that came for me and you. Go to John 1.29. This is pretty exciting for me. John had a revelation of what was going on here. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the gospel. That's how we react to the gospel. We need to realize that he's the perfect sacrifice for our sins. We need to realize that he came to put away sin, and next time he comes back, He's looking for an army that belong to him that are enlisted in his service because he's not going to come back as a beggar and a penitent anymore. He's going to come back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's how he's coming back. And we're going to proclaim holy, 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 Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And there'll be no mistake about who he is or why he came. Because there's a scene in Revelation that said, who are these? And he said, these are those that have dipped their... What? In what? The blood. What was shed on Calvary for our sins? The blood. The devil can't come through the blood. He hates the blood. He said, look, this is the Lamb of God. And he says in verse 30, he's the one I'm talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who's far greater than I am. For he existed long before me. What's our response? Acts 2.38. What should our response do be when we realize what he's done for us? Well, Peter had to confront that today at Pentecost. They went from a bunch of timid people in a room to... Yeah. Let me find it here real quick. She's probably already got it. Well, verse 30. (laughs) Verse 36, Olivia. So let everyone in Israel, let everyone at Christian Life Center, let everyone around us, let everyone know for certain that God has made this Jesus. What Jesus? This Jesus. There's not a bunch of Jesuses out there. There's this Jesus, the one, the anointed one, the Messiah. God has let everyone know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. See, we need to realize that our sin was just as instrumental as putting him on the cross as anybody else's sin. We look at sins that people commit in their lives and we say, oh, that's horrible. Well, sin is sin and forgiveness is forgiveness and we all need it. We try to break off sins and say, well, that's horrible. Well, yeah, it is. But every sin's horrible when we have a true discerning of what the cross was. He said, whom you crucified... We need to realize that he came, the gospel's good news, but it was my sin that put him on the cross. My sin. We look at the Pharisees sometimes and say, oh, they were just this, they were just that. We get the same way in our churches sometimes. We try to turn Jesus into an institution or a social gospel that he never intended to take. You know where the social gospel comes from? We start acting like God. We start acting like Jesus when we realize what he's done for us and not before. It's hard to understand it until you understand why he came. Let me go on. He's both Lord and Messiah. 
Verse 37 says, Peter's words pierced their heart, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? So what should our response be once we understand what he's done on the cross? Once we understand what the blood of Jesus said, Peter's replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized. How many of you are about ready for a baptism here in the church? We need, to ba- we need to make sure that everybody in here is baptized. It's very important. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for what? For the forgiveness of your sin. When we baptize somebody in this wonderful place here, there's been so many miracles that have been born out of here. I remember back about seven or eight years ago, when Ida got a word from the Lord, and we were baptizing that day, and Ida had a word that said, the, the angel's stirring the waters, the Lord's going to do something, and he wants to minister unto women that have had problems conceiving. Well, guess what happened? Nine months later, it came to pass. There were women in this body that was having problems conceiving, and she said, God's stirring the waters, and you need to, if you're not getting baptized, just get your hand in the water. See, the water John baptized in the Jordan River, because when they submerged their sin and came back up, that means they were new creatures. And if God puts us together in the womb, he has control of the womb, and people got with child just like Mary, a word of the Lord. And I'm glad for the ones that received that word. Think about it a minute. Baptism buries the old man. It's a testimony to what he's done, not what we've done. And he says, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is so much more than just displays or speaking in tongues. That's a byproduct of the Holy Spirit. You'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking, but it's so much deeper than that. We have to go beyond the shallowness of, wow, did you see that or did you see that? Sometimes that's not a real discernment of what God wants us to get. God does not want us to draw attention to ourselves. He wants attention placed on Him. Looking unto who? The author and finisher of our faith. I'm going to go on. It says, verse 39, it says, this promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles. We make a big deal out of here uh, in this church about maybe you were the first one that came in your family that came to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. You literally, when you did that and understood the cross, you became a preacher of the gospel, maybe not a credentialed one, which makes no difference. They didn't have too many credentials back in the book of Acts. Do you know what their credentials were in the gospel when it said they could tell that they had been with Jesus? So if you're the first one in your family, then you've changed history. And it's not about predestination where you say God was going to save them no matter what. No, the decisions that we make fashion not only our life, but our kids' lives. I can look back to decisions in my life that I made that weren't exactly good for my family. I'll own up to it. But thank God he came to forgive me of that and point out my error and restore me to fellowship. Anybody still there? Romans 6.23. We're talking about response here also. We've already touched on this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. There's that word through again, through Christ Jesus. It doesn't come through Muhammad. It doesn't come through a 12-step program. This is a, some of these programs are wonderful. Some of you have been through Teen Challenge. Some of you have been through different. They're wonderful programs, but where they're not wonderful is if they take your attention off of who the Savior really is. Because you'll relapse 
every time unless you understand what he came for. The wages of sin. In other words, if you, if you equate this to a paycheck, you work all week, you sin all week to get your... Think about it. The wages of sin, the payment for sin is death. That even magnifies what he did on the cross because the payment for our sin was death that he took upon himself. Think about it. And then he said, okay, Jeremy, I'll take your sin. Lonnie, I'll take your sin. But here's what I'm going to give you in return. Somebody said Friday night in prayer, uh, I, I think it was, Jan, it was Jan. She said, well, I've just bagged up everything and put it before the Lord because I can't take care of it. Think about that for a minute. Just put it all in the bag and let him have it. Through him, that's how things get done. Through him. The wages of sin is death, but he said, I'll take your sin and I'll give you a free gift. (laughs) What's that free gift? Eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, let's go on just a little bit more. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Wow. Paul says here, he said, I passed on to you what was the most important. Here we go again. It was the most important and what had also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins. He died. He said, Paul says here that that's the most important thing that was passed on. The realization that he died for our sins. Not that he covered. See, let me, let me, let me focus on something else for a minute. He just didn't cover part of our sin. He didn't say, oh, that's the big one. I can't forgive you for that. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You mean that thing that is in my life that I can't get rid of? No, he said if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just. For You know why he's faithful? Because he's faithful to his word. He is the word, but he's faithful to the word. He's faithful and he's just. If you want my opinion over me, I deserve exactly where a sinful life will take me. But he didn't deserve it. Because he's faithful. He said, this is what I'll do if you confess your sin. I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then his justice follows that. So when you get by your bed at night, whether you're laying in your bed or on your knees on the floor, thank God and confess your sins. And they're covered. How many of you believe that today? If you don't believe it, I might as well just stop right here. Because this is all foolishness if we don't believe that our sin is forgiven. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, I passed on the most important thing. And what I received, see, Paul received a revelation. He said, who art thou, Lord, when he got knocked off his horse? He said, I'm the one that you're fighting against, Paul. What's your problem? I'm the one doing this. Think about it a minute. And in our lives, we've done the same thing. God, what's going on here? And Paul said, I'm passing on to you what I received. See, Paul had scales fall off of his eyes when he was prayed for. He had to follow the word of the Lord. And he had a great revelation of who Jesus was and what he'd done. And he said, Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture says. Galatians 1.4. Almost done. Hallelujah. Galatians 1 4. Well, 1 3. <coughs> Excuse me. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now, verse 4. Jesus gave his life for our sins. Just as God our Father planned. 
in order to rescue us. You know what? With all the bad news and everything, which I pretty much tried to get myself out of here lately, I'll tell you, news shows will drive you crazy if you watch them. I think the large majority of it is just motivated by the enemy that wants to make us feel lawless and hopeless. But just like in the days of Elijah and Elisha, God's got more people out there than we realize that are out there. And there's going to be events coming in the coming years that will draw that knitting and weaving together. And our testimony, it says, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. What is our testimony? That Jesus Christ is Lord. He died for our sins. That's the good news. And what should my response be? My response should be that he came in order to rescue me from an evil world. That's Galatians 1.4. Ephesians 2.5. Almost there. Well, verse 4. Got to keep it in context. But God is so rich in mercy. And He loved us so much. How many of you are convinced that your wife loves you? How many of you are convinced that your husband loves you? Uh, less hands there. <laughs> or maybe you should ask the question from the other side of the room there or something. <laughs> What's it say here? That even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that we have been saved. You know what the blanket of grace does? It covers our sin. How many of you are cold-natured and you always feel like you're 20 degrees colder than the rest of the room? And you've always got a blanket or something and you're always just... You know, it's, you feel exposed. You feel weak because you're just cold. And you know, sin, in a spiritual sense, sin does, we feel like we're not covered. Amen. And the enemy will sit on our shoulder and say, you're not covered, you're not covered. Jeff, I know you're not covered. Amen. You might be covered in the front, but I got a word a couple of weeks ago from two ladies that said they saw people covered in the front, but they were naked in the back. That's a scary thought, isn't it? In the old West, they would have gave you a pair of chaps to wear. And nobody got that. Except the men. You guys are bad. It is only, you know what my point is, is that we always feel exposed. And the enemy wants to make us feel exposed. But the only thing that covers our exposure is not our ability to give or our ability to... What covers it is the grace of God that throws a blanket over all of our shortcomings. Why did he come? By grace, are you saved? Through faith, not of yourself. It is the gift of God. So the grace blanket covers all of our sin. And then Paul says in Romans, therefore, shall we continue in sin that he can give us more grace? And he said, no way, God forbid. How are we who are dead to sin continue any longer? It's like God gives, here's a grace blanket, here's a grace blanket, here's a grace blanket, here's a grace blanket. I don't want it, I don't want it. Some people don't understand why we cover people up up here. Well, part of it's for modesty, but part of it is a humbling process. And it points more toward him and his ability to cover us. It's like a blanket of grace. It's through grace that you have been saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the word of the Lord. That's our response. 
That's our response to what God's done for us. You say, well, that won't work for me. There's billions and billions that are destined for hell because they've discerned that that doesn't work for them. You say, well, God's a loving God. Yes, He is, but He's a just God. If we had one of our sons give their lives, you know, I love it. I got out of the military during the Vietnam War. And when I got out, nobody cared about the military. It was bad. It was so bad that when I got out in Norfolk, they told me, don't wear your uniform home because people will spit on you and they'll attack you in airports. That's how bad it was in this country. I don't know how many of you remember that. And those of us that took part in that war was no different than those that are taking part in the war today. Except I'll tell you what the difference is. Now we realize in hindsight just what those people did back then. And now we honor our veterans and those that were willing to give, listen to me, willing to give their life so that we might live. Where does that where does that come from? Where does that love come from? It comes from God. Greater love hath no man than he's willing to lay down his life. Thank God that they treat men and women of the armed forces nowadays with respect because they were willing to lay down their life. Doesn't mean we always agree with things. But we need to discern what they risk. Now, I was in the Navy, so I wasn't getting shot at all the time. We did our part. We did our part. But nowadays, it gives me a realization when I see somebody, I got a hat that has my old Navy ship's name on it, and people will come up to me all the time and they'll say, thank you for your service. And you know what? That means a lot. Because I remember a time when they didn't say thank you. Thank you for your service. And we turn that around and we look at Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we say, Lord, thank you for what you did for us. Thank you. We appreciate what you did. You didn't do it in darkness. You didn't hide it. And we appreciate what you did, Lord. He came that we might have life. And have it more abundantly.